Sunday evenings, he would intentionally preach to those who were not yet Christians, bringing the gospel to bear specifically to those who were not yet born again. We don't have a Sunday evening service here, and sometimes it's appropriate and needed to preach the gospel specifically to those who have not yet believed. And by God's grace, that's what I aim to do this morning. If you have believed, don't check out. Queen Elizabeth passed away on September 8th, 2022, not very long ago. And Robert Cunningham, who's a pastor, tweeted this. I once had the honor of touring the UK Parliament with a man who knew its history better than anyone. I asked him for the craziest story he could share, and he did not disappoint. He went on to say, every legislative session begins with a visit from Her Majesty the Queen. And it's a very regal tradition. She wears her crown and robe and processes down a hallway lined with the Queen's guards who literally strike the stone walls with their swords to make sparks fly as she walks by. The hallway ends at the House of Lords, where the queen enters to take her seat on the throne and essentially commissions the legislators to enact the will of the people. Several years ago, they were forced to break tradition a bit to accommodate the queen in her older age. There is a grand staircase leading to the hallway, and it became too much for her to climb. So they decided to start using the elevator to get her up. Well, the first year they did this, a mistake was made. The lift operator accidentally pushed the button for the wrong floor. Rather than the entrance to Parliament, he presses the button for the maintenance floor. The lift goes up, the doors open, and Alice from the cleaning crew, with her head down, pushes her cleaning cart into the elevator as she has done countless times. Only this time, she has pinned the Queen of England against the wall of the small elevator. The doors close behind her. Alice is stuck in the lift with the Queen and her guard, and she lets out an expletive not fitting the presence of royalty. Then an awkward silence no one knowing what to do. Maybe you're like Alice this morning. What am I doing here? Why did I decide to come this Sunday? I haven't been in church for years. Why now? And why here? Well, I'll say this. I'm glad that you're here. We, as a church, are glad that you're here. Would you mind if we introduced you to the king this morning. Maybe you feel pinned in an uncomfortable position with God, with the king. Maybe you even feel like he's the one that has pinned you. Maybe you know of him, and you know that you're known by him, but you yourself are afraid to know him. As Dane Ortland has said, Maybe you have dark thoughts about God. 
Well, this morning I have good news for you. We have good news for you. The good news is described in many ways in the Bible, but this morning we'll use a description used often in the Gospel of John and also in 1 John that we've been preaching through. This good news has two parts. The first part is this. There is light. That may be hard to believe. In dark days like ours, consider the darkness, the pain, the sorrow, the weeping that you've experienced recently, perhaps even this morning. It's hard to believe there is light when darkness seems so close in a dark world like ours so often is. And let me tell you, the Bible agrees. The world is a dark place, and it's specifically spiritually dark. The world has been under a curse ever since sin entered the world when Adam and Eve rejected their king, their true father. Part of that curse that entered the world is death. Death, which sometimes seems farther away than the sun. Some of you may have never been to a funeral before. But sometimes death feels closer than our skin. Not only have I experienced death, but that death seems to just be a shadow over me. Day in, day out, minute by minute. I almost can't imagine life without death anymore. Furthermore, we live in a culture of death. Yet we try to dodge it at every turn. Maintain life. Avoid that day. And interestingly enough, when it comes around to October, it seems like our culture all of a sudden says, let's celebrate death for a full month. This world is so dark. Maybe you feel like you're stumbling around in a dark forest. No stars, no moon, just you and the trees and the shadows. The Bible agrees the world is dark, but the Bible goes a step further. Our biggest problem isn't our dark world or even the darkest of our days. Our biggest problem is that our compass is broken. The human heart, who we're told, trust your heart, just do what your heart tells you to do. Disney is an expert at that. It's broken. You and I were born with darkness inside of us, the darkness of sin, and we can't find our way. How does that affect us? In John 3, Jesus says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works, lest her works should be exposed. 
The Bible's description of every human heart could fit in this metaphor that we are stumbling around in a dark forest. And we love it there. We love it there because we think the darkness itself hides us from God. If finding our way means finding God, we don't want to find Him. We'd rather hide from Him and tightly clutch our sin. Maybe you feel the darkness this morning. A burden so heavy that it seems to be your master. On the one hand, you want to be free of it. But on the other hand, you seemingly can't live without it. Or maybe you don't. Andy, darkness doesn't describe my life at all. I'm successful, optimistic, business is going well, kids are getting good grades. Life is pretty good. I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. Maybe you would agree with William Ernest Henley in his poem Invictus. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Would that describe you this morning? Oh, successful and optimistic one. So life seems to be full of light, full of everything that life offers. Are you actually the captain of your soul? Sheldon Van Auken said much the same. He and his wife, Davy, considered themselves happy pagans. Happy pagans. Whose love for one another was a shining barrier that could not be breached. Yet, as he writes in his book, A Severe Mercy, while serving on a battleship in the Pacific during World War II, Sheldon was on watch, officer's watch, early one morning, and the mast and the yardum caught the light of the moon, and they cast the shadow of a cross on the deck. In that instant, he resolved, I must, I must investigate Christianity. Not now, but at some point. Friend, has the shadow of the cross fallen across your life in a way that makes you pause and say, I must consider Christ? Is that why you're here this morning? Perhaps you are a happy pagan and, and you look at your life and think, there are some things that kind of stir inside of me and an interest in, in the reality of what, it what would it look like to actually be a Christian? Not just to be okay with God, not just to kind of say, God and I have a good thing going on, but to actually be a Christian. To actually be someone who could say, yes, Christ is my king. He actually is the center of my life, not just an app for my life. Sheldon was feeling that. But his wife, Davy, had a much different experience. Her experience is what Sheldon later calls 
conviction. Listen to how he describes her experience. One night I had gone to the library to hunt something up, leaving Davy cheerfully curled up with a book. I came home to find her face streaked with tears, and she clung to me desperately and wept. It was some time before she could try to tell me what had happened. But the two lines she wrote next day of a poem that was never completed are the beginning point. She wrote, All the world fell away last night, leaving you, only you, and fright. Her sins, she said, had come out and paraded before her, ghastly in appearance and mocking in demeanor. What sins? What sins could this eager, loving creature who I loved, what could she have committed? Not sins as the world counts sins, surely. Not one person had she murdered, nor one gold ingot stolen, no unfaithfulness, no secret drinking, no dishonesty, no sloth, no kicking dogs. But sometimes she had been grouchy or snappish. She had said cruel things to people, perhaps to her mother or brother. Once in the war, when a young officer, a friend who had been brought up a Catholic, had said that someday he would no doubt return to the church, Davy had said with mocking scorn, whatever for, you're not brave enough to stand alone? And he had changed the subject. Now her words haunted her. Sin. She knew there was such a thing as plain sin. Not something any psychiatrist could absolve or explain away. Even worse, the sins of omission. She quoted some poet whose name she did not know. Oh, unattempted loveliness. Oh, costly valor never won. Davy was shaken to the depths. Shaken as I had never known her to be. Friend, maybe you haven't just had a sort of shadow cross your life. But like Davy, you've been experiencing the conviction of sin. The reality that there is a holy God and you are not holy. The fact that there must be someone else, someone else to stand in the gap, someone else that must do something to cleanse you, something to take your place, something that would actually take away your darkness? There is good news. Whether you have the shadow of the cross that has intrigued you, or whether, whether there has been conviction of sin, may I say this, there is light for those who walk in darkness, even those who love the darkness. There is light, and the light has a name, Jesus Christ. God in the flesh who came down into our darkness. He himself said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not work, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
to that dark forest where we are hiding with our sin, Jesus has come as a bright searchlight to rescue us from the darkness of the world and bring us out into the light. To himself, the light of life. The light himself invites those in darkness to follow the light, him. To trust the light, him. In John 3, he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That was not the first order of Jesus' business when he came down as God in the flesh. To condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Friend, that is what we are living in right now. Jesus has come as the light of the world, and he did not come presently to condemn the world, but to save the world, to save sinners like us. We will all face God one day to be judged by the true judge. He could have left us in our darkness, huddled under that bush, clutching our sin, awaiting the day when we would be exposed and condemned because that day will come. However, the Father sent Jesus into the world to live as light in the darkness and to go to the cross on that dark Friday. He was condemned so that we could be saved. To which you might say, but I've sinned too much. Like Davy, my sins parade before me. Like the psalmist, my sins are always right there. God can never forgive me. Well, let me tell you this. It will not ultimately be for those sins that you are condemned. Hear me on that. It is not ultimately for the record of sins that you will be condemned. God's judgment of you will be based on what you have done with the light. Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 3, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Do you hear that? All of us come with a record of wrongs. None of us are saved by our own works, our own perfection. We have nothing to offer in that regard. We all come guilty. The difference between the guilty and the forgiven is the cross. That is the difference. What do you do with the cross? What do you do with the Son of God who hung on it? The Apostle Paul tells the Thessalonian church that when Jesus returns, he will then return to judge. He did not come to condemn the world. He will come to condemn the world. 
Paul says, in fact, he will inflict vengeance on who? On those who do not obey his good news. Those who refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Have you obeyed his good news? Do you love the truth? If we return to that dark forest one last time, Jesus, the searchlight, is walking through the dark forest, yelling out, I am the light of the world. Come out from your hiding. I died so that you do not have to die in darkness. I was punished for your dark deeds. And I rose again from the dead so that you can truly live. Trust me. Come out to me. Walk in the light with me. Will we believe what he says about himself? Will we trust the light? You may know that back when Adam and Eve first sinned, what was their first flinch reaction? To run and hide. They were ashamed. They were guilty. To come out to the light is to come out to the light who himself hung on the cross so that there would be no more guilt or shame for those who he saves. So to walk with the light is to walk shamelessly. It's to walk without guilt, without any degree of, I need to stay in the shadows. I need to lurk away. Yes, I love the light. Yes, I trust that Jesus has forgiven me, but I still just kind of like want to hang out here. The light says the darkness has not overcome me. So come and walk in the light. Two sisters experienced the tragic death of their young brother. When one of them came out to Jesus as Jesus was approaching the funeral, she said, if you had been here then, he would not have died. We're all going to face death. Death is an enemy that is coming for us all. You can't outlast it. You can't dodge it. You can't outmaneuver it. We can't fight death with money or with health or with anything else. You and I will both all ultimately face death. How will you face death? And as we've just seen, when you face death, you will face Christ. You will come face to face with the one who says, I am the light of the world. What will you say to him then? We will either face him as sinners, still in need of forgiveness because we have refused the light refused to be saved. We've already heard Paul told the Thessalonians, at that point it is too late. You refused in life. 
the one who came to you without condemnation, now the only result is judgment, is condemnation. We will either face Jesus as those who still need to be forgiven and are thereby judged, or we will face him as those who have received the life of light, the light of life that comes through the shed blood, the broken body, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. There will be no middle ground, no gray area, no purgatory, no, let's try to figure this out, God. Can we bargain on this? There will be those judged to eternal death and those judged to the righteousness of Christ to eternal life. And so Jesus replies to this sister who says, if you would have been here, he would not have died. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he puts this question to her, to Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? It's not about a a, a certain like Christian biblical assent. Well, I understand that he's the resurrection and life. No, it's do you believe this? That belief, that faith is only something that comes by the grace of God and the sinner's heart says, yes, I believe. Help my unbelief. Do you believe this? Who could make such a claim? Who could ask such a question? Only the king of kings who himself died to rise so that he could guarantee to all those who believe that they will never die. That they will never die. There is light and his name is Jesus Christ. Do you believe that he is who he says he is? Because this morning he offers you forgiveness of sin and true life. True life in the light. Not in the shadows anymore. Now and forever. When we last left Alice with the queen in the lift, there was an awkward silence, no one knowing what to do. The silence was broken by the queen's uncontrollable laughter. And then the most remarkable invitation. Rather than opening the doors to let Alice off, the queen asks the lift operator to take them down to the proper floor. The doors open, and to everyone's shock, out walks Her Majesty the Queen, and Alice, the maintenance worker. Then the queen in her regalia, along with Alice in her maintenance uniform, process side by side down the royal hallway. But it gets even better. Once a year, for the rest of Alice's life, she was invited to Buckingham Palace for high tea with her newfound friend, Queen Elizabeth. Friend, what you were hearing this morning makes an invitation from the queen pale in comparison. 
You are being invited to know God. And that God in his mercy and grace said, though he is a sinner, though she is a sinner, I will give myself to save them. And to invite them to walk in the light and process down the, 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 the royal path to my throne in this life and in the next. Do you believe this? Then as Alice, who simply believed and got off of the lift because she could trust that what the queen said was true. Simply believe. Trust that what Jesus has said about himself is true. Step out of the darkness and ask him for forgiveness. To those of us who do believe, a final word. As Jesus said earlier, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Did you hear how he said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life? This is about discipleship. It's about belonging. It's about walking with Jesus. Trusting that we are walking with him in the light. It's a, it's a promise by him. You will not walk in darkness. You will have the light of life. And it's also a distinguishing characteristic. The Christian, the Christian does not walk in darkness, but walks in the light of life. The Apostle John writes later, later as we've talked about in the First John series, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Brother and sister, you have the light of life. Capital L, capital L. Don't lurk in the shadows any longer. He says, come out and walk in the light with the family of light. Our standing before the holy and pure gaze of God is not our own merit, our royalty, or lightness. We don't even have maintenance robes like Alice. We have dirty rags. Yet still, frankly, we've received a much greater invitation than Alice. Because our advocate brother, the light of the world, is the king eternal. All glory to his name. He himself is rescuing a multitude from the darkness and into his glorious light. Continually speaking words of cleansing and for wrath satisfied at the cross. Brother and sister, you are clean. You are a friend. You are clean and among friends. So come, live shamelessly in the light with us and with him by living shamelessly together. Forgiven, true life in the light. Come share in the very nature of the Trinity, light upon light, grace upon grace, Brother and sister, do you 
believe this. Let's pray. Oh God, we need your grace to believe this. Both for those who have not yet believed and for those who do. Oh Spirit, reverberate in the hearts of all those who have heard your voice this morning. That we might believe. Give new life where there is currently darkness, please. And convince us of the light of life for those of us who have him. Oh God, for your glory we ask this in your name. Amen.